Imagine this. You're driving home one night from your job at McDonald's. And you have a sack of fried fish sandwiches on your passenger seat, just waiting to be devoured. But it seems that fate has other plans as your car begins to jerk to the left. And you begin noticing the telling signs of a flat tire. It's 2 o'clock in the morning, and you really don't want to pull over to change it. But kind of have to, since your dad is going to beat your ass if you destroy the rim and the wheel disc by just driving the last 7 miles. It's dark out there. And the swamp is just yards away with absolutely no signs of civilization on the unlit country two-lane back road. You pull over and gather the courage. I mean, what is there really to be afraid of? It's just the dark, right? The driver's side door swings open as you reluctantly force yourself out of the safety of the car to grab the jack, spare, and tire iron out of the trunk. Crickets and cicadas are screaming in the humid musk-filled air of the or swamp in the last remaining few days of June. The job gets done pretty easily for having to do the whole task in the thick of the night. You throw the tire iron, jack, and damaged tire back into the trunk, and you slam it closed. A scuffle erupts from a decent distance behind you, and you turn to see a large figure on two legs running your way. The flight instinct kicks in, and you haul ass back into the cab of the car, squeeze your eyelids down, clinch every muscle in your body, and sit, waiting for whatever it was to pass by. But it never does. You slowly begin to relax and open your eyes as the nervous feeling begins to fade, and you think to yourself that you may have just been seeing things. Your eyes drift to the left to see the upper thigh of an enormous creature with what looks like reptilian scaly skin. You juggle the key as you hastily push it into the ignition and turn it towards the front of the car. The sound of the engine coming to life feels good and relieving, but the sound of whatever that thing was climbing up on top of your car doesn't. Whatever it is, it's heavy. And the only thing you see is two long scaly fingers with large black claws protruding from its prehistoric looking appendage in the upper corner of your windshield. You slam the gas all the way to the floor and whatever that damn thing was tumbles down the back left side of your car. The relief of not having to deal with that thing anymore is great, but what the hell are you going to say to your dad in the morning? The car jerks to the right as you hear whatever it is begin scratching the top of the cab after jumping back on it while you're traveling at least 35 miles per hour. <laughs> Congratulations. You just met the Lizard Man of Skateboard Swamp. Welcome back to Infinite Rabbit. Welcome back to the Infinite Rabbit Hole Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Jeremy, and tonight we're going to South Carolina. Bishopville, that is. Who man. This was uh this one was a long time coming, guys. Let me tell you what. Now this one was fun. This was a good one. It's been a long time since I've done a, a cryptid episode. Those that have been with the show for quite a while now know that, you know, I love doing the monsters. And uh, this was no different. This was right up my alley and thoroughly enjoyed doing the research for this. Without further ado, everybody, uh, episode 142, 
the Bishopville Lizard Man. Enjoy. Bishopville, South Carolina. With a population of just a hair over 3,000 individuals, Bishopville encompasses an area of only 2.4 square miles off of U.S. Route 15 with larger cities such as Sumter to its south and Florence to the east. Brick buildings line Main Street as they have done since the beginning, and white bordered houses speckle the side streets reaching out away from downtown. The Piggly Wiggly serves as the hub for groceries and the Cotton Museum for historical records of the area's past. But the secrets the area holds don't actually call this small town home. No, but on its western border lay the Skabor Swamp, a tributary to the Black River and Winya Bay watershed. And within this basin of mucky water, overgrown brush, and strange calls in the night lies the even smaller community of Browntown, which as of 2020 only held a total of 206 people. This is where the secrets of the area are birthed, the place of desolation with a history of hidden moonshine stills, escapees with no place to live in civilization, of bears, snakes, brambles, quicksand, and sinkholes. The history of Skateboard begins with the birth of its name. In 1761, a woman of knightly deeds was no longer welcome in the parish of St. Mark's, just south of the swamp. To escape her arrest, or possibly even worse, she fled into the swamp and was never seen again. It was then that the swamp was first referred to as Escaped Whore Swamp, with that title even showing up on land deeds from that time. Sooner or later, the name was changed to something more family-friendly. Another mystery of the swamp came in 1936. A haunted axe that was used to murder a woman by the name of M.M. Brown was part of an urban legend that described the axe moving on its own, primarily on Halloween night. The axe served as a grave marker for Miss Brown until 1978. The Skateboard Bridge is home to a ghostly canine known locally as the Chain Dog. This canine specter is said to be heard running back and forth on the bridge while dragging its metal chains on certain nights. And in 1871, the famed Bishopville Giant caused a lot of panic in both Bishopville and Manning when a ghostly large humanoid figure was seen by multiple people at varying times which apparently had a metal collar around its neck. From this collar there swung an anvil and multiple sledgehammers. A few reports say that the giant vanished into thin air or solid objects, and one man even claimed to have been touched by its icy hand. But nothing that this swamp has ever offered up can hold a candle to the most famous monster of Browndown. The cryptozoological darling is known by varying names and created a stir in 1988 that stretched throughout the country and even into faraway places such as Korea. The creature's reality has been debated for 35 years, but one thing can never be taken away, and that is that the creature scared the shit out of many people in the area surrounding Skateboard Swamp. Today we're diving back into the story and evidence of the Bishopville Lizard Man. Early in the morning of July 14, 1988, two Lee County Sheriff's Department officers were dispatched to the Way residence on the fringe of the Skateboard Swamp in Browntown to investigate a report of extreme vandalism to the family's 1984 Ford LTD. What they saw was not your typical vandalism. There was no broken window from an obvious attempt at a theft, no thin and elongated puncture holes in the tires that were caused by a knife. No, the damage to this car was much stranger. Reddish hair and muddy prints were found on and around the automobile, and instead of the typical damage caused by vandals, the officers were confused to see not just bite marks, but it seemed that whatever caused this damage had attempted to chew on various areas of the metal skin of the car. 
the chrome molding was torn away from the wheel wells and fenders. The side walls of the wheels were scratched by what looked like large claws. The ornament was torn off the hood, and through the bent hood of the car, the officers could see that some of the wiring in the motor was torn out as well. The first impression was that this was caused by some sort of animal, but that wasn't really adding up. Yes, the damage happened on a property neighboring a large swamp, but the local animals were not known to resort to attacking a parked car. So the officers placed a call to then-Sheriff Liston Truesdale. After the sheriff had arrived on the scene, he too was stumped as to who the culprit could have been. In his 14 years of service at the time, he had been called out to many animal attacks. Nothing looked like this. So the decision was made to reach out to South Carolina's Wildlife and Marine Resource Department to have a biologist come out and attempt to clear up the story with the evidence that was left by the vandal. One of the first things that the biologist examined was the hair samples, and although not 100% confident in his answers, the best idea he had at the time of the investigation was that the fur may have belonged to a red fox. But of course, red foxes aren't known to have the strength to physically cause the damage that was seen, so samples of the hair were gathered and sent to the University of Georgia for further deciphering. The same animal was blamed for the prints left in the immediate vicinity of the car, but much larger prints were found about 25 yards away that seemed to be a very large black bear heading into the swamp. So the first official narratives were brought forward, one being that this was a human vandal who left fox fur and prints on the con and around the car to put blame on another creature. Or two, a bear had been hunting a fox, and the damaged scene was the bear's attempt to climb the car to get to the nimble animal. With damage to the hood and motor coming from the fox hiding in the area of the car, and the bear tearing its way to get to its sly meal. As the investigation was ongoing, onlookers and reporters began to show up due to the reports over their privately owned police scanners and new narratives began surfacing. The neighbors of the Ways and the other locals in Browntown described that many of the residents had been witnessing a large upright walking creature that was described by some as green and by others as brown. The creature had red eyes, and many claimed that it was about seven feet tall, and every local that showed up to the scene was thoroughly convinced that this creature was the one to blame for the damage to the Way family car. If it were not for the complete certainty of the people who gathered at the scene, the sheriff would never have taken the claim seriously, but good thing he did. Many specific names and details were given to the sheriff, and the vandal investigation at a residence on the fringe of the Skateboard Swamp took a strange and permanent turn towards the new legend of what the locals were now calling the Lizard Man. Before Sheriff Truesdale had been called to the scene, he had been in a meeting with a news reporter from the state's largest newspaper simply named The State, and it was in this newspaper by this reporter, who had joined Sheriff Truesdale out in Brownstown, that the story of the scape or lizard man would be introduced to the world. Christopher Davis Sheriff Truesdale found it hard to believe that there was a monster loose in the area of scape or swamp, and with none of the people named during the initial investigation of the car damage wanting to share their experiences with the police or reporters, the seriousness of the lizard man began to decay in the coming hours. Two days after the Way family's vandalism, on July 16th at about mid-afternoon, a man by the name of Tony Davis and his 17-year-old son Christopher walked into the sheriff's station and shared the son's experience with an unknown animal. 
Tommy had seen the newspaper articles written by Miss Tutton and felt responsible to report his son's story as it seemed more and more each day that his son may actually be telling him the truth. Chris Davis was heading home at around 2.30 a.m. after the night shift at McDonald's, about two weeks before the car vandalism had taken place. The route routinely takes him along the outskirts of the skateboard swamp, and this trip was no different. As he was about seven miles away from home, one of the tires gave out on the silica, and the young man quickly grabbed the tire iron, jack, and spare out of his trunk and got right to the task at hand. The boy made quick work in the pitch of night while being attacked by every bug in the swamp, and as he was putting his tools back in the trunk, he noticed that approximately 30 yards away from him, someone or something was walking towards him with its arms bowed outwards from the tree line. The only light that was available in the direction of the incomer was the light of the moon. Chris described what he referred to as a, quote, red-eyed devil, as standing roughly seven feet tall, what looked like wet green skin, red eyes, and only three fingers on each hand. Chris immediately ran to the driver's side door and jumped in. As he sat there, scared of what might come from this encounter, the creature came to stand about two feet from the driver's side window. The creature climbed on top of the car, and the only thing that Chris could see were two digits from one hand hanging over the top of the windshield. He made note that the claw at the end of the digits was black and sharp. Soon after it climbed on top of his car, the thing let out a guttural grunt, and Chris turned the key and sped off as fast as it could. The acceleration caused the creature to tumble off the back of the car, and at the same time damaging his side mirror. Chris watched as the creature hastily returned to its two feet and began running after the car. Chris claimed to be traveling about 35 miles per hour when the creature caught up to him and yet again jumped on top of the vehicle. He never heard the thing fall off, and as he approached his house early in the morning, Chris laid on his horn and tried like hell to get someone's attention. As his father opened the front door, Chris approached yelling at the top of his lungs. His father was instantly concerned for his son, but at first sight he had no idea what had made Chris so upset. Chris looked back and began to cry as he realized that the creature was not on top of his car, as he thought it still was. After Chris explained the event, Tommy Davis went out to investigate and turn his son's car off. The driver's side mirror was bent down, and there were scratches all over the roof. The Trackway Deputy Wayne Atkinson was manning the desk at the Lee County Sheriff's Office at 2 a.m. on July 24th when two teenagers ran into the station. The boys were visually upset and were breathing very heavily. Before the deputy could ask what was wrong, one of the boys blurted out, quote, I think we saw the lizard man. Rodney Nolf and Shane Stokes were driving their girlfriends home when something large and running on two legs ran in front of their car and jumped the fence on the other side of the road. There isn't much else to tell this particular encounter, but a few hours later, a woman in Browntown called in to report a loud howling coming from the woods. If it wasn't for the birth of the Lizardman sightings and the boys who had come in earlier in the night, Deputy Atkinson wouldn't typically entertain such a report too much, but this time he decided it might be a good idea to have a look. Both Atkinson and State Trooper Mike Hodge drove over and began patrolling the back roads along the woods and swamp with their spotlight. As they began their way down Bramlett Road, they discovered several crunched 40-gallon drums strewn along the road in various locations. The men got out of the cruiser and approached to investigate, but found nothing out of the ordinary other than the drums themselves. So they jumped back in the car and headed back down the road away before U-turning and heading back to where they entered Bramlett Road from. As they approached the area with the barrels, 
A large trackway was highlighted by their headlights that were not there just a few minutes prior. Each three-toed print was 14 inches long and 7 inches wide at the widest point, and the stride length was just a hair over 3 feet. It didn't take long for them to jump back in the car and leave the scene as they made the decision to come back in the daylight, so as to not put themselves in danger wandering in the woods following the tracks. The officers returned in the morning, and this time they were accompanied by Sheriff Truesdale. In the daylight, the three men were able to further investigate the litter of drums, footprints, and the damage to tree limbs up to the nine-foot mark that were now visible in the daylight. The sheriff had seen enough to want to take this event seriously and had one of the officers head back to the station for casting material for the prints and called in the South Carolina State Law Enforcement Division to request tracking dogs. As the men were pouring the plaster into the print, a CNN news van pulled up and the sheriff moseyed over to answer a few questions before telling them that he had to complete the current investigation before he did any interviews on the matter. As he was walking back, three officers from the state law enforcement division showed and were instantly interested in the strange tracks. These men had a job that sent them into the woods following tracks of various men and animals and these were like nothing they had ever seen. The hounds trailed the tracks away about 150 yards into the monkey swamp before the sky let loose and a downpour ruined their chance at ever discovering what may be at the end of the tracks. A few from the past. Several weeks after the trackway that was found by the Lee County officers, a man by the name of George Holloman had come forward about a sighting that he had prior to the vandalism of the Way family car. In fact, the first time the Sheriff Truesdale had heard the name George Holloman was at the investigation by one of the onlookers. Nothing had ever come from that lead, but that sure changed when Holloman walked through the door of the Sheriff's office. George Holloman was a 31-year-old construction worker from Browntown, and his sighting of something strange by Skateboard Bridge happened in October 1987. Holloman was riding his bicycle one evening when he had stopped on the south side of the bridge and took a few swigs of water and lit a cigarette. He was observing the sight of the water flowing under the bridge and the silence of the woods around him when out of the corner of his eye what he originally thought was a damaged tree stood up to about seven or eight feet. George watched as the creature stared at him and made slight movements but never really moving from his standing position. A passing car's headlights illuminated the area a few yards away from the creature, but the light was enough to show bright red eyes reflecting back at him. Whatever it was seemed not to care too much for the passing car as it turned and began to walk into the tree line away from where the passerby had traveled. As the creature walked off, George took notice that it seemed to be covered in hair. In his report that was reported on August 13, 1988, George passed on the information of the sighting and was unsure if it was the so-called lizard man, but he felt that with all of the reports going on, he found it important to pass on the description of what he saw. Shortly after George Holloman came forward with the story, another man felt comfortable enough to do the same. George Plyler was working at his home with a few men near daybreak in the spring of 1986, two years prior to Christopher Davis's encounter. As the four men were putting in a hog pen near the border of his property in the swamp, the hairs on the back of Plyler's neck stood up and he immediately had the feeling that he was being watched. His sight settled on a set of reflecting eyes peering out just past the trunk in the tree line. What he originally thought was a deer was clearly not as he found himself terrified of the figure that laid in his eyesight. The creature stood on two legs, with arms that hung down past his knees. 
The eyes were reflecting bright red and its face looked eerily humanoid. Whatever it was took off rather quickly as George was able to get one last good look at the creature's body. He claimed to not remember fur or hair on the body of the creature, but the legs were long and skinny. When asked if he saw was the infamous lizard man, he replied, It had a body maybe similar to a lizard except for the head, and it didn't have a tail or anything like that. Shortly after the sighting as the sun came up, George wandered over where he claimed to have seen a few three-toed prints in the swampy muck. A few weeks after the Christopher Davis encounter, another man came forward about a strange event that took place roughly a month before Davis's. Frank Mitchell was a crop duster and owned a rather large property with a private hangar for his plane and runway to go with it. On the morning in question, the fog hung low until later in the morning. Mitchell taxied his crop duster out to the runway and took off down a 3,000-foot stretch of grass, and just as he was beginning to lift into the air, a large, upright, walking, grayish creature walked into the runway completely unfazed by the approaching plane. The small aircraft soared over the creature, and Mitchell was frightened as to what it was. Losing sight of it immediately as the nose of the plane tilted up to take off, Mitchell made a quick bank back to his runway, and by the time he returned, the thing was gone. In his retelling of the story, he claimed that it was impossible to remember exactly what the creature looked like, as he only saw it for a few moments. But his initial thoughts were that the face looked like that of an ape, not a lizard. The Ugly Side On August 6, 1988, a headline from the state newspaper read, Florence Man Says He Wounded the Lizard Man. This propelled the circus that Browntown had become, and the local sheriff had finally had enough of the reporters ruining the quiet area and random men wandering through properties, woods, and swamps with loaded rifles and shotguns. So Sheriff Truesdale drove down to the Shaw Air Force Base to speak with the man who shot the lizard, an airman by the name of Kenneth Orr. Mr. Orr's story was ridiculous, and the evidence, quote-unquote, that he had was even more ridiculous. Kenneth Orr was traveling on Interstate 20 to the base at 6 a.m. on August 5th when he took the exit for Highway 15. On his approach to Gin Branch Road, he witnessed a strange creature running at his car from the embankment up ahead. Orr described it as standing 5 foot 9 and having a lizard-like tail with green but not scaly skin. As the creature got closer, he stepped out of his vehicle and commanded the creature to halt. When it didn't, Orr fired a warning shot into the air, which did nothing to keep the creature from barreling down towards him. Orr aimed and fired multiple rounds in this creature, with one clipping the side of its neck. The creature fell into his car, got up on its feet, and ran into the woods, never to be seen again. All that was left were a few scales and some blood on the hood of his car. Orr collected the evidence in a Ziploc bag and turned it into Sheriff Truesdale when he showed up at the base. Truesdale became angry at the quote-unquote evidence because it seemed to be nothing but fish scales. Orr had obviously not done his homework on the difference between fish and reptile scales and even went as far to draw the creature he saw. It was literally an alligator on two legs that looked poorly identical to a local gas station's t-shirt's depiction of the creature. Churchdale charged Orr with a misdemeanor weapons offense for the unregistered 357 Magnum in his front seat and another misdemeanor for filing a false report. Truesdale was actually sort of relieved, and it was his hope that this little event would help deter others from looking for the creature or submitting false reports. Orr ended up having a warrant issued for his arrest, and when he showed up to the sheriff's office, he admitted to completely fabricating the entire story. He claimed that he only wanted to keep the legend alive, which worked, but not how he intended. 
Instead, headlines in the following days really did a number against the airmen, and it seemed that the circus was finally ready to calm down. Not too fast now. So on August 18th, Christopher Davis would take a polygraph test to finally put all the naysayers in their place. The results came back that Chris was telling the truth on all accounts. Soon after the results were announced, a new rumor was making its way through town, and that was that a local bean farmer by the name of Lucius Elmore, also known as Brother, was responsible for scaring the shit out of Chris Davis that night. The road in which Chris Davis apparently had his flat tire on was only a half a mile away from the farmer's well-known butter bean shed, which he kept air-conditioned with multiple window units in the summer to help keep the workers cool. The shed was located at the back end of his property, and he had been having recent issues with people stealing his window units at night. So rumor was that since the event took place so close to Brother's shed, it must have been the farmer himself that scared Christopher. The farmer was a very tall man known to be in the six and a half feet range and wore wide round glasses. Brother may have been patrolling his property when he saw Chris and went to investigate. His arrival may have scared the young man, who was already on edge being out in the middle of nowhere in the dark. Chris would have jumped in the car and when he pressed down on the brake, the illumination of the taillights could have shined off the lenses of Brother's glasses. This became the hot topic going through town, and although most of the residents now believe Chris did see something due to the polygraph, many began running with the story instead of the lizard man being the culprit. Rumor was that Elmore himself was even confirming the accuracy of the story. But when questioned by reporters, Lucius Elmore, aka Brother, denied all possibility of that being the case, and his daughter defended her father by stating that she was 100% certain that he was in the house with her on that night of Christopher Davis's story. On August 26, 1988, an unnamed colonel of the Army Corps of Engineers was driving home with his wife along McDuffie Road in Ashwood, about eight miles south of Browntown, when a large brown being ran across the road in the beams of their headlights. The colonel described the creature as standing seven to eight feet tall, running on two legs with a tail that didn't reach the ground. His wife, who was not paying attention to the road, only witnessed the end of the encounter when the creature ran into the woods along the road. Unfortunately, when the officers arrived the next morning, the rain from the previous night seemed to erase all evidence that anything was ever at the location. One thing that stands out about this particular encounter is that the only detail that doesn't seem to jive with the previous serious reports was that tale that the colonel had described. Bigfoot? As many who are listening will have already concluded, there are many who believe that the Bishopville Lizard Man is actually a misidentified Bigfoot. In particular, a swamp ape that calls the southeast and southern Gulf states home. A cryptozoologist from the Cryptozoology Museum Project in Malibu, California by the name of Eric Beckyard reported after a one-on-one interview with Christopher Davis that he believed that what witnesses were reporting as either scaly or fleshy skin was actually the swampy muck coating the Sasquatch's hair that when dried most likely cracked and crumbled giving it a look of scales in the moonlight at a quick glance. He believed that the creature was attracted to Chris that night due to the smell of McDonald's coming from the teenager. But if what the citizens of the Bishopville area were seeing was actually a Bigfoot, then why would they have reported bipedal lizards instead? Looking back on the cultural history of humans throughout time, we can see that mankind has been fascinated with reptoids for as long as we can imagine. Looking at art and literature, we can see depictions of Cecrops, a once king of Athens, the Chinese inventor of fishing and trapping Fuji, the Egyptian god Sobek, 
In Hindu mythology, we had the beings known as the Naga, Shock, the Mayan rain god, the immortal beings referred to as the Xi'an from Taoism. The Hopi Indians had stories of the people that they referred to as their quote-unquote snake brothers. The Kappa from Japanese folklore. Let us not forget the on-screen depictions of the creature from the Black Lagoon, the Sleestacks from the show Land of the Lost, the Lizard from the Spider-Man universe, and most recently, the Frogman, the Honey Island Swamp Monster, which also has a mix of reptile and ape reports, and the conspiracy favorite bipedal race referred to as the Reptilians, which some tie into the lore of the Anunnaki, all of which bear the likeness in some way to the Bishopville Lizardman. On July 30th, 1990, all six members of the Blythers family encountered the Lizardman after almost two years of silence from the creature. Bertha Blyther was driving home along Browntown Road with her five children, ages ranging from 4 to 18, as they were approaching the intersection of Hickory Hill Road. They were traveling at approximately 25 miles per hour when something large jumped at the passenger side of the car and attempted to pull her 11-year-old, Tamisha, out of the rolled-down window. Bertha turned into the left lane of the two-lane road as whatever it was jumped at their moving car. During the attack, the only thing that any of them saw were the lower half of an upright brown hairy creature. But as Bertha sped up, her 18-year-old son Johnny turned to look out the back window and noticed that whatever it was was bringing itself to its feet before disappearing into the darkness as the car gained distance. They all explained that it was very big and having had two arms as it was attempting to reach into the car and stood on two legs. In the fall of 1991, the young Elmore couple were driving along the road that connects Browntown to Cedar Creek when Brian witnessed something crouch down on the side of the road in the headlights of his car. As the couple drove by, whatever it was stood up and Brian shockingly asked Michelle if she had seen it. Michelle denied seeing it and told him that he probably saw a cow or something. That's when Brian turned the car around to see if they could find it again. As they approached the area, the creature stood in front of the headlights and was illuminated in a way that caught Brian in awe as he almost hit the creature. He swerved at the last second, and the thing ran into the woods. The official reports quoted Brian stating, quote, like a gorilla, but bigger. And Michelle described it as a brownish black and standing roughly seven feet tall. So what do you think? Could there be a connection between Lizardman sightings and our beloved bipedal ape? Or could there possibly be two creatures in one place? The Famous Mr. Lizardman There was no doubt. Besides all the reports coming in from what were mostly credible witnesses, the country began to really pay attention to the area surrounding Bishopville, South Carolina. On July 20th, another article was published which outlined Christopher Davis's encounter with an unknown bipedal creature on the outskirts of Skateboard Swamp, and Chris instantly became not only the talk of the town, but places far and wide began paying attention to the area surrounding Skateboard. Chris became the center of attention for reporters, radio stations, and curious citizens alike, with a radio station out of nearby Bishopville, W-A-G-S-A-M, being the first to land the big interview, followed closely by local newspapers, the Item, the State, Lee County Observer, and the Independent Mail. WCOS-FM radio station out of Columbia really skyrocketed the story of the Lizardman when they offered a million dollar reward to anyone who could capture the Lizardman alive. Soon after, the Associated Press and the United Press International would get a hold of the story in Bishopville, as well as the little town of Browntown, South Carolina, would soon become the hotspot for curiosity seekers from all over. The furthest place to take notice was the Korean Times, which reported on both the Way family's car vandalism and the Christopher Davis encounter. But the most famous account of press coverage surrounding the Lizardman was when Tom Brokaw, host of the NBC Nightly News, 
had made mention of the creature with a Lee County Lizard Patrol hat sitting on his desk. From that point, the floodgates opened, and soon the little town was being featured in the likes of NBC's Today Show, Fox News, Time Magazine, People Magazine, CBS Evening News, CNN, Unsolved Mysteries, and Good Morning America. Paul Harvey of the ABC Network even brought up the Lizard Man to the audience of over 1,600 radio stations nationwide, including the Armed Forces Networks. A song from the famous country musician of the 60s, Jim Nesbitt, who was from Bishopville, was inspired by the famous reptilian in the latter half of July in 1988 and wrote a song simply titled The Lizard Man. The craze slowed down by the end of August 1988, but the public's interest in Lizard Man never really died. In modern times, TV shows such as Destination Truth, Fact or Fake Paranormal Files, Animal X, Lost Tapes, Weird or What, and Mysteries of the Museum have all dedicated entire episodes or segments to the famed humanoid reptile and countless podcasts have followed in their footsteps. The book I use is my primary resource, Lizard Man, The True Story of the Bishopville Monster by Lyle Blackburn is the only book that I have found that is completely dedicated to the creature itself, yet many others have dedicated chapters or segments to the creature. Modern Encounters In 2008, Bob Rawson of Bishopville was getting Freddy to head to the hardware store when he was shocked to find that the family's blue Dodge caravan was damaged overnight. It looked like some animal had attacked it for hours. The hood had multiple bite marks, the fenders were scratched, bent, and bit through, and there was blood in some places with damage. When the Lee County Sheriff's Office showed up to the scene, nobody wanted to be the first to say what everyone was thinking. The Lizard Man was back, almost 20 years later. The damage was so severe to the material of the vehicle that nobody believed that it could have been done by a fox, coyote, or bear. Miss Rawson was the one that put the story together after the typical number of cats in the neighborhood drastically decreased in the same night. The running theory in the story of the Rawson's vandalism case is that whatever it was wanted to get to a cat or multiple cats that were under the van. Through the attempts at a meal, the places in which a cat would easily hide were the places that were most affected. Cats are known to find their way into the engine area of cars under the hood and some are known to lay on top of the tire in the wheel well. After gathering DNA samples from the blood, the sheriff had taken a moment to look around the immediate area which included a field where the bodies of a cow and a coyote were found. Months later, the results were in. The culprit was identified as a domestic dog. Neither the Rossons nor the Sheriff's Department bought that as an explanation for the damage done to the van. Then, Sheriff Melvin was stated saying, quote, If I didn't see the van, I might have believed it. A number of theories had come up surrounding the results, one of which was that the swabs may have been tainted by the German shepherds of a neighbor who had come to see the damage. Another possibility was that whatever it was may have had the blood of a dog on its body when it went after the cats. But whatever it was, the masses do not believe that it was a domestic dog and the legend of the Bishopville Lizard Man had seemed to have come full circle. On the 4th of July in 2011, Leon Marshall was shocked to find his Dodge Journey in the Summer State and promptly called the Lee County Sheriff's Department. Yet again, there were teeth prints on the hood and fender but this time there seemed to be a rather large trail of dried saliva and a few white and black hairs left behind. The sheriff's department seemed to be done with these cases and denied the chance to run a DNA sample on the evidence, so this particular case may never be solved. But in season 2 of the sci-fi channel's show Fact or Faked, the team created multiple different tests which resulted in bullets being shot at a car, hydraulically operated steel jaws, and a bunch of commonly owned tools. The only one of the tests that yielded similar results were the power tool, which led the team to believe that this was all a hoax or a case of vandalism. 
Many have come forward to deny the fact or fake findings throughout the last decade. Well, that's it, travelers. That's everything I found regarding the Bishopville Lizardman. Not enough info? Well, that's okay. Because next week, we dive into other reptoid creatures of cryptozoology, and maybe one or two of those lizard brains can shine a light on the mystery of Skateboard's Lizard Man. Thank you all again, and I'll see you next time in the next path of the Infinite Rabbit Hole. Goodbye. I would like to thank you once again for tuning in to the Infinite Rabbit Hole podcast. Please make sure to give us a follow and one of those beautiful five-star ratings on your podcast player of choice. If you would like to join the conversation and stay up to date on all things Infinite Rabbit Hole, head on over to Facebook and search for the Infinite Rabbit Hole Facebook group. You all know it's us when you see the logo. If you would like to help contribute to the cause, there are a few ways to do so. First, head on over to anchor.fm forward slash infinite rabbit hole and click on the subscribe button where for $5 a month you'll get access to all our old episodes that will never see the free spotlight ever again. It's horrible stuff, but if you're into that kind of thing, then go check it out. Second, head on over to infiniterabbithole.com and click on the IRH merch shop tab and grab yourself a sweet t-shirt, sticker, or whatever else you see that you wouldn't mind owning. Until next time, travelers, I'm Jeremy, and I'll see you at the next fork in the path of the Infinite Rabbit Hole. Bye.